This is the place where you are enthroned. Hallowed be your name. Holy, righteous, awesome, powerful is your name. Majestic is your name. Father, we worship you this morning because you are a holy God. You are different. And as you instructed the children of Israel to be holy because you are holy, so are we as your children to be holy. Father, we pray your kingdom come your will as it has been preordained your will be done in this earth as it is in heaven there is peace in heaven in your presence there is fullness of joy in heaven, Father, there is but one will, and that, that is yours. In heaven, there is no hatred, no war, no conflict of any kind, Father. So we are praying that your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Father, this world, our nation, is in need of your will being done in earth. We need the peace that exists in heaven to be done here in earth. We need your comfort, Father, here on earth. Our nation, our world is in need of healing. Your word declares if your people, the righteous ones, the called out ones, the ecclesia, if your people, the one that you have anointed and ordained to be your representatives in the earth, if your people, gosh, that are called by your name, the holy, righteous name that is above every name. If your people that are called by your name would posture ourselves in humility, would take a position of humility before you, if your people which are called by your name, would humble themselves and pray, which you told us to do all the time, never ceasing. If we would pray, if we would repent, if we would turn from our wicked ways, the ways that we have established 
Father, as tradition, the ways that we have established, calling it your ways and they are not. The ways, Lord God, that we have positioned ourselves in, in our churches, Father. The ways, Lord God, that do not represent you. If we would repent and turn, you said that you would hear from heaven and you would heal. Father, we need the healing. We need the healing. Our nation is in need of healing right now. Father, not just because of this pandemic, Father, yes, we do need healing from that, but Father, we need healing from something that is so far greater. So far greater. When human life is no longer devalued, Father, we need your healing. When the cries of a people, Father, is heard, not heard for so many years, Father, we are in need of your healing. You told Israel, I have heard your cries. For over 400 years they cried, Father, but you said you would send an answer. We are in need of healing, Father. We are in need of an answer. And we know, Lord, that you are not far from any one of us. Your word declares before we utter one thing before you, you have already heard and you have answered. So may we place ourselves in positions that we might hear what you are saying, Father. Your church, Lord God, supposed to represent you in the earth. We, your people, we are the church, not this building, because we are not even in our buildings right now, but we are still the church. We are supposed to emulate your kingdom in earth. May we position ourselves appropriately during this time, during this season, when the cries, oh God, seemingly are being left unheard. We know that you, even though you sit high, you look low. And you have the answer. The answer is Jesus. The world is in need of a savior. May the veils and the scales be removed from the eyes, Lord God, so that we can see the answer is not in policies. The answer is not in law. The answer is not in government on any kind. The answer is in Jesus. And only when his government is the government will we have what we need on this earth. So we thank you this morning. 
that we will not be swept away by what we see happening, Father. Our eyes will continually be on you. And may our thoughts and our hearts ever be postured before you. In Jesus' name we pray. Good morning, church. Good morning to you. Good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. God is good. He is good. I need my clicker over there. God is good. He is good to us. He is faithful to us. And we bless him. We bless him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. I was tossed a little bit back and forth between standing and sitting, but I need to sit this morning and talk to the family from this position. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. God's provision is always rooted in his prevision. What God sees, he provides for. That is a consistent pattern of God. Even in moments like this, God has provided for moments like this. Good friend of mine, Pastor Eric Butler out of New Jersey, and the house knows him as the prophet. And um, we can, we have legitimately determined that's who he is to us, and he's been that internationally as well. Having a conversation with him, he says to me, Pastor, I saw God. I saw the gavel of God come out of heaven and hit the earth. What a visual that was for me. What a picture of justice that was. This is a moment in time like no other time. Yes, we've seen other injustices occur, but this is a cataclysmic moment. The church is being judged as well in this hour because this sin of racism which keeps raising its head continues to be denied in all kinds of ways. We've taught here in this house what we deny in life you are destined to repeat. And so you keep going around the same mountain because you won't deal with the issues. 
As followers of Jesus, we're never told to battle flesh and blood. And so we know that's not the answer. Warfare is never described as natural, but spiritual. So I want to share something with you today. Um, actually, I want to teach this. I want to talk about a position that we as believers should be taking right now. I want you to turn your attention to Psalm 9, verse 7 through 11. And we're still talking about unshakable. This is the third installment of this teaching. And we're talking about unshakable, being unshakable, what that really means. Nations are led by either peacemakers or warmongers. Nations are led by peacemakers or warmongers. But none of this changes God. None of it changes him and none of it changes his position. The verse says, but the Lord sits enthroned forever. The Lord sits enthroned forever. Let me put it on the screen for those of you that are following us. The Lord sits enthroned forever. The Lord sits where? Enthroned forever. You got to get that in your heart. The Lord sits where? Enthroned, not for tomorrow, not until next year. The Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice. So the verse tells you where he's sitting and why. Why the throne is established. It gives you one of the reasons at least. He has established his throne for justice. He judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed. He's what for the oppressed? He's a stronghold for the oppressed. So the oppressed can run into him and feel safe. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed. A stronghold in times of trouble. <coughs> we can call this a time of trouble. The text is referring to posture. When I read this text, I see God postured on his throne with his arms on the, the chair. And reminds me of my father. As a young man, no, I lost my father well, he departed. I didn't lose him. I know where he is. He departed early. I was a young man, but I watched my dad, like a lot of young men watch their fathers. And I realized that the way my father used to sit with his right leg crossed over his left, it provided for me, when I would see that, it provided for me 
security. It told me that my dad was in control of the moment. It told me that he was at peace and that he knew what he was doing. It was a position that just secured me as a child. Little did I know I would grow up sitting just like he does. Had no idea until my mother pointed it out one day. Posture, as we want to define it this morning, posture is this. The language one's body communicates when sitting or standing. Posture. The language one's body communicates when sitting or standing. The language can come from what they know and understand. The language can come from what's been delegated to them. Maybe a person's been delegated a certain power. That posture comes from something they know and they understand. As God sits enthroned, he sits based on what he knows and what he understands. And no one moves him. Nothing moves him. Circumstances don't move him. He is postured. The text informs us that God's posture on the throne comes from what he knows. The permanency established. It's a permanent throne. It's not temporary. It wasn't voted on. There's no legislative body to help delegate. No, that's just him and the Godhead. God's posture on the throne speaks volumes. God does not shake when he's sitting. As a matter of fact, he doesn't shake, but he certainly does the shaking. He shakes situations. And in Hebrews 12, we've seen that in the last two teachings, that he will shake whatever needs to be shaken so that what cannot be shaken will remain. And that's exactly what he's doing right now. He's shaking some stuff. He has to because his objective is to get to what cannot be shaken so what cannot be shaken will remain. Even you, believer, he's got to shake you so he can shake all of that fluff out of your life, temporal stuff out of your life. He needs permanency because he's a permanent God. He's enthroned forever so his character is one of permanency. Bless you, Lord. So the scripture teaches, in heaven, he's seated. In heaven, he's seated. But his feet, we know the scripture tells us, he rests his feet on the earth. Now just get this imagery. It speaks both power and authority. He's seated on a throne as a king, but kings must rest their feet somewhere. And he chooses to rest his feet on the earth, the place he created, the place he established, the place he released his image in, in people so that they can carry and bear his image and look like him. He places feet on the earth. So we get this, this picture of God being seated and his feet being placed on a place where he has control. Because you don't put your feet where they're going to be sliding all over. You put your feet in a place of control. 
where they can rest and not move. The throne represents power and authority. As I said, power is about might and force. That's what power is. But authority is different. Authority is about power, but the legitimate right of one to have it. Authority is the legitimate right to exercise it. That's what authority is. It's one that has power, yes, but an, a legitimate right to exercise the authority and the power one has. He's got both power and authority. God's throne is established to exercise justice. He has to do so, yet God is always just. In every action, he's just. You may not think he's just. Where is God? Why is he doing this? God is always just. That's an understanding that you must get about God. Every situation, God is just. But it's not just about power, <clears throat> but a compassion for those who have unfair power exerted over them. And he has a compassion. The text says, the text says that he, <clears throat> he's enthroned and those who are oppressed, he is a stronghold for them. So there's a compassion for people who are oppressed. There's a consideration. He hasn't just discarded them because he knows when, when, he, when he released humankind in this earth that they were going to get it wrong. Instead of having dominion over the earth, they would dominate each other. So his position, I'm going to have a stronghold for those you take advantage of. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So that's our confidence. In verse 10, it says this, and those who know your name put their trust in you. Even the oppressed, even when they're going through stuff, even when it looks like nobody's answering them, the oppressed know something about their God. They know he's a stronghold in any situation. And he may not look like he's answering it right now, but because of his posture, he is postured in a way that, conf that confirms and consoles the oppressed. Just like me as a little boy seeing my dad, I knew dad had control of the situation. I knew it was secured. I knew my, my, my destiny was okay with my dad as long as he sat with his legs crossed. Like everything was going to be okay. I hope you're getting this, this visual. To, the, to know the name of God. <clears throat> and the scripture tells us, those who know your name put their trust in you. To know the name of God in the Old Testament was equivalent to being saved in the New Testament. If you knew the name of God in the Old Testament, it was just like a person being born again in the New. They knew something about God, knew the name of God. Those names represent something. So to know God's name is to be familiar with God's delegated authority and power. They knew he had a certain posture and power. But this impacts the very posture of the one who takes God in to any 
situation. When we find ourselves in certain situations with that knowledge and understanding and we take that understanding into the situation, it translates into power and authority for those who understand. And give you an example. You ever hear people say, that guy's connected. We know there are people in this country, they don't pay for hotels. They don't pay for their dinner when they go into a restaurant. There's a certain connection they have. A certain understanding that even the restaurant owners will, no, give them a pass. People who are connected, they carry themselves a certain way. They carry themselves differently. Even when they get in trouble, they got this get out of jail free card. They know it exists, though it's not a, a tangible piece of paper. They just know. Are y'all hearing me this morning? There's a different posture you take when you know his name. There's a different position you take. Since the Lord is God, he will not abandon those he has bound himself to. He is faithful to his people. He is always faithful to his people. Say that with me. God is faithful to his people. You got to know that this morning. You got to know that. Mark chapter 16 Verse 19, it says this. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of God. So Jesus now is postured also next to God. And he looks, he's postured next to the Father and he's looking at his Father and he feels just as secure, he feels just as in control, and he knows he has the same power and authority that the Father has. Let's look at another verse. These verses are meant to empower you this morning. And God raised up us up with Christ, okay, and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Everything we have is in Christ. So even where we're postured and seated, we're seated with him next to the Father. These verses reveal much about God, our Savior, and Jesus and how they view us. How they see us. God is seated. Jesus is seated. And we are seated. Oh, come on. You got to hear this this morning. God is seated. Jesus is seated. And we are seated. All three seated. And all three are settled in a certain posture. Everybody say posture. Oh, you got to take your posture this morning. You say, I'm not aware of all of that, Pastor. I'm still on the earth. I'm sitting in my seat. I'm sitting here in the church and sitting at home. I'm sitting in my car. I'm listening to you. I don't feel like I'm postured next to Christ. Because where, you, where we are not physically seated now does not change our experience. 
Just because where you are physically seated now does not change the experience. Let me say that again. Because of where you are, I don't know where you are, where you're watching me, what country you're in, what state you're in, no matter where you are, if you are in Christ, just because you are physically seated somewhere, it doesn't change what he's saying about you this morning. For some of us, this understanding requires a reframing of how you understand things of God. So let me just come back just for a minute. How you see, because everybody's got a different perspective, and I keep telling this church, I tell you all the time, one change in your perspective will change your whole life. So let's try to hopefully change a portion, just, a, a, just alter you just a little bit this morning. Let's expand on the concept. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18 says this. Let's read it together. While we look not at the things which are seen. Come on, everybody in here. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Let's say it again. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are shaky. Are you hearing me? But the things which are not seen are unshakable. Are you hearing me? What produced or created what we see was determined by something we don't see. So what we don't see has determined what we see. And what we don't see, in fact, is more real than what we see. <laughs> Y'all hang in there with me this morning. If we get this one verse right, just this one verse, it will transform your whole life. The Apostle Paul, who we read, and we're reading his writings right now, he suffered physically to bring the message of the gospel to the Gentiles. He was called to a specific people, an apostle to the Gentiles. He was jailed, he was beaten, he was left for dead, five times beaten by his own people, three times robbed, several times beaten with rods, shipwrecked, left for dead, left without food, beaten by the very people God sent him to rescue. But while his outer man deteriorated, and he says that in previous verses in the same chapter, he talks about while my outer man this flesh is decaying, and yes, we're getting older every day. It decays every day. While this is decaying, the man on the inside is being renewed daily. In other words, the man on the inside, the inner man, the spirit man, is receiving insight, revelation, knowledge, capacity, determining, determining his way and where he go and how he live his life. It was determining his outside. 
It was impacting how he lived. So in spite of all of the stuff he suffered physically, it did not deter him internally. New insight, fresh revelation, a deeper walk with God, greater spiritual maturity. So to place greater emphasis on what he was seeing than what he knew God was doing in him would have led him to giving up. Because faith determines everything for the believer. Faith determines everything for the believer. The degree to which I accept what God says and live as if it exists reveals my faith in God and, I, and my claim that I follow him. God is always working on your faith. Because without faith, it's impossible to what? Please God. We got that one. So guess what? In order for us to please, he's got to work on the thing that pleases him. So to the degree which I accept what God says and live as if it exists reveals my faith in the God that I claim to follow. Incorporated in that faith is called hope. Something called hope. Say that with me. Incorporated in my faith is hope. That helps me deal with the pain I sometimes feel about the things that I see, like Minneapolis. Hope. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when it comes, it's like a tree of life. I need hope. I need something that's going to help me see beyond what I see in the physical. I need some hope that tells me an outcome is a positive outcome, a fair outcome, a justifiable outcome is going to be had. I need hope. Turn to your neighbor and say, I need some hope this morning. I'm trying to give it to you. There was a woman named Araminta Jones, Araminta Ross, Araminta Ross, Araminta Ross. I know you don't know that name, but you know this name, Harriet Tubman. That was her real name. She began working in Massa's house at five years old. She was beaten. She was starved. A woman who fully understood and lived what Paul is teaching us right now. 19 times she risked her life to go save slaves. She was known to have visions of God speaking to her because she was hit in the head one time by some, something and, and it altered her, her, her mental capacity and she would just blank out and she would have these visions of God. In the movie Harriet, she has a shotgun to the head of her oppressor. But she doesn't kill him. But she makes this powerful statement to him. And I know it's just a movie, but I can envision her actually doing something like this. She says this, you tried to destroy my family, but you can't. You tried to destroy my people, but you won't. 
God has shown me the future and my people are free. And you know all of the things that occurred to, to bring freedom to the people. Even today, freedom can be misinterpreted and misunderstood if we really want to understand being free. But I can see and understand what she was saying. Understand, she was not looking at the things that were seen because she, she looked at her condition. She would have been hopeless to rescue people 19 times walking all the miles she walked to go and free people who she wanted to have the freedom she experienced. Not just physical freedom, but spiritual freedom. She did not dismiss her experience, no. She knew she was, if the times were tough and dangerous, but her experience did not dictate her life because her experience rested against a backdrop of the eternal. That's where her faith was. Her faith was in the eternal. So when you see things, let your faith rest. Let your vision, what you see, your experience, let it rest against the backdrop of the eternal. While we look not at what we see, but what we don't see. Many of our people would have been destroyed had they continued to look at what they saw. They had hope. What Paul is saying in essence, solutions to human problems don't reside on human levels. Solutions to human problems. This is what he's saying in essence. To sum it up, solutions to human problems do not reside on human levels. They never did and they never will. Yes, we can bring band-aids to the solution. Yes, but we cannot do surgery on it. Are you hearing me this morning? And we need surgery. We pass band-aids. I'm past you promising something. We need some surgery now. And folks, believers, God is doing surgery on the hearts of his house first. I want you to notice something. God knew this situation was going to happen. But yet, everybody is in their homes. We're not out and about. We are in our homes hearing what has happened, seeing what has happened. We can't run to the right or to the left. We are stationary. We got to see it now. It's in our face. And church, I'm speaking to you, church, all across the country. We can't deny this. No longer can we deny this. God hates sin. Six things he hates, seven he despises. And the shedding of innocent blood is one of them he hates. So if he hates it, what's wrong with the church? We should feel what he feels. Hallelujah. So this, this that I'm talking to you about this morning, I know. It requires a certain level of maturity. I'm going to say it again. What I'm saying to you this morning requires a certain level of maturity. 
there is absolutely nothing we see today God has not already seen and resolved before we arrived. Our faith should always rest in the fact that he's seen it, resolved it, and is showing us how to respond to it. Our faith should always rest in the fact that he's seen it, he's resolved it, and is showing us how to respond to it. There's absolutely nothing today God has not already seen and resolved. If there's any truth to the fact that how we think determines how we feel, and there is truth to it, because I know some of us feel some kind of way this morning, then this truth will help manage your emotions today. Because this is truth. Because it's designed to make you unshakable. Every truth of God is designed to make you unshakable. Say that with me this morning. I'm unshakable. Even if you feel shaky, say with me, I'm unshakable. What you say will become your reality. It can. It has the power. We confess God. We confess out sin and we confess God in. I receive God in my life as my savior. That confession becomes my reality. Faith connects us to the eternal. Faith is the substance that manifests kingdom realities. Faith is the substance that makes real kingdom realities. What Paul is teaching here is how essentially he saw all of life. Both he and Harriet had an eternal perspective that drove them through life. And until you develop this perspective of God, this eternal perspective, you're going to have challenges with everything you see happening on this planet. What is an eternal perspective? An eternal perspective does not disconnect us emotionally. Let's get that right. From things in time, but roots us in an understanding and peace about the events in time against a backdrop of eternity. I need you to get this this morning. An eternal perspective does not disconnect us emotionally. No, we need to feel what we see. We are emotional people. We have feelings. That's why we express ourselves emotionally in our worship. We are emotional people, but faith, eternal perspective does not disconnect us emotionally from things in time, but it roots us in an understanding and peace about the events in time against a backdrop of eternity. That's what it does. If there's any truth to it, this will determine how you feel. I'm not talking about complacency. I'm not talking about do nothing. I'm talking about because neither Harriet nor Paul were in the space of complacency. They were engaged. I'm talking about a faith rooted in God. It waits on his instruction about what works to add with it. 
Faith without works is dead, and the works part waits for God's instruction on what, how to add works to my faith. Are you hearing me? I'm not talking complacency this morning. But you got to know what God would have you do because some of the things you may do may interrupt with his, interfere and intersect with his plan. And we don't want to be in front of God. We want to be behind God. Amen? That's where we want to be. We want to be behind God. I'd rather be behind him and having him tell me, come on, catch up, son, than for me to be in front of him and... Son, you need to slow down. You're in front of me. That's trouble, being in front of God. So we, when we add works to our faith, get an understanding of what God would have you do to engage situations. This faith is more, it's exercised, the more it's exercised, the more it becomes unshakable. Faith that I'm expressing to you this morning, the more it's exercised, the more unshakable it becomes. Your posture is your answer to your circumstance. Your posture is your answer to your circumstance. Your posture is the answer to your circumstance. We are seated, positioned with Christ in heavenly spaces, places. This means all the circumstances we face, he shares with us. Everything we go through, he's right there going through it with us. Everything we experience, he's right there experiencing it with us. I don't care what you feel. This ain't about what you feel. This is about what you know. Hallelujah. It's our feelings, they, they can deceive us. This is a knowing in your knower. Let me just share this last chapter with you. Would you turn in your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 7? Hope this is all right for you this morning. Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. We're going to look at verse 55. And before I go there, I want to put something on the screen. I want to put a statement up. And will help kind of collect and gather us and give some foundation to what I'm about to say to you. Acts chapter 7, verse 55. God calls us to himself not to teach us how to manage sin, but how to manage life. God calls us to himself. Not primarily to teach you how to manage sin, but he's teaching you how to manage life. Because everything inside God speaks life. Acts chapter 7, verse 55, is a story about a man named Stephen. Now let me give you a little background on Stephen. Stephen, in Acts chapter 6, was chosen by the apostles. The apostles found that they were too engaged with caring for the people physically. So they needed something. They, they, they reached a place 
in ministry where some, another body, another layer needed to be added. So they called this layer the deaconry. Deacons were added. And Stephen was one of them. So they, they were to care for, the, for the, the widows that needed caring for. And so Stephen was one of those. Stephen was a devout man. Stephen was a man that loved God. He was brought before unjustly before the courts of the high priest because they claim in his speaking about Jesus in the streets and among the people, they claim he was blaspheming. He was equating Jesus with God. <laughs> and you know that's what God Jesus placed on the cross. Because he claimed to be God. So he incensed the powers of Israel. He angered the high priest and those who were on that position, in that position with the high priest. He angered those spiritual leaders he was brought before. But he was railroaded. He was brought in unjustly. Claiming he was blaspheming. He was found guilty and his punishment was stony. Key to the story. Let's read verses 55 through verse 60. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice. Look at what he says. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep. Sounds like somebody else we know. I found this unique in the story where it says he was full of the Holy Spirit. And whenever they read, they referred to Stephen throughout the, 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 the scriptures. It was always about him being full of the Holy Spirit. Whenever a man is described like this, it's talking about him being full, really, of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. But that special component called self-control which determines godly character. He was full of the Holy Spirit, the character of the Spirit. At one point, someone said he had the face of an angel, meaning the maturity of the Holy Spirit was all over him. It transformed him. He was so full of God, it impacted how he looked. His visual changed. His visage changed. So the emphasis on this important story 
because it's the Holy Spirit, notice this emphasis on the Holy Spirit in the story, it, it, it determines our posture in every circumstance, even death. It's the Holy Spirit that determines our posture when an injustice has been committed on us or anyone else. It's the fruit of the Spirit, the control that becomes important in this point, at this moment. We need to be full of God, directed by God, guided by God when something tragic goes down. And this was tragic. The man was being stoned unjustly. Remember the scripture tells us the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. Even the kind of responses or action we should engage in any event, at any moment, just listen to the Holy Spirit. He will guide you in that moment. Remember, Jesus told the disciples, don't be concerned about what you say. The Spirit will give you in a moment in time what to say. Here's Stephen, just before his life is about to be taken, looking up and he sees something. He sees the posture in heaven shift. Yeah. Jesus is not sitting anymore. Jesus is standing. The posture in heaven shifted. When, ah, hallelujah. What shifted Jesus? From being seated, from a seated position of power and authority to an intention getting position of standing. Because when you stand, something has just gotten your attention. Are y'all hearing me this morning? You don't just stand for nothing. He stood for a reason. Jesus is standing because he's watching, hallelujah, the highest form of a witness that he knows. He's watching the highest form of a witness, someone that looks like him, that he knows. Listen, Jesus at any moment could have called down 12 legion of angels. A legion is 6,000. You do the math. Jesus could have called down that many angels to save himself from those people taking him into custody. But he chose. He chose to give his life. There's something that these men understand about the mind of God and the voice of God. Even in a moment of trial and triumph and stress and death, there's something that they see. Hallelujah. It's greater than themselves. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You need power in a moment in time like this. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to all the earth. Power, he's talking about the spirit of the martus. That's what the word means. Martu, ready to become a martyr in any situation where God tells me, hold your peace, son. Hallelujah. Are y'all hearing me this morning? You can't always fight your battles. Matter of fact, your arms are too short. Let God box for you. 
Hallelujah. We don't like seeing people die. But the principle remains. Scripture says, unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces a whole lot of seeds. Don't you think this death was for nothing? Are you hearing me, church? There was a young man standing there when Stephen was dying. As a matter of fact, people were putting their cloaks in front of him. He was consenting to the man's death, thinking he's doing the right thing. But God's got an eternal perspective. He's got a different view. And he said, Peter, hold your peace. Be still. Take this one on the chin for me. Because I got a bigger vision. And Stephen died innocently. God could have interceded. But there would have been a challenge to the harvest that would have come later. Because this man Saul became Paul. And the harvest came through the man's life who was standing there approving of death for another believer. Ah, it takes vision to see this. It takes maturity to understand this this morning. God could have interceded but there would have been a challenge there may have been a cutting off of the harvest that this man who was in his sin was watching who God at some point would rescue from darkness bring him into light and translate his words his writings into millions of people being born again we still read in the man's writings this morning we're still reading what he said like Harriet said, I see my people free. Paul wrote three quarters of the New Testament. And to this day, that seed of Stephen continues to reap a harvest in Paul's life. Stephen's unshakable faith, even in death, released the purpose of God on somebody else's life. Jesus' death continues to produce millions of seeds, some that will die producing even more seed. That's the principle. Unless a seed goes into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But when it goes in and it dies, it produces many seeds. God said this to us. And I know this is hard to swallow. But he said this to us. He said, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. As high as the heaven from the earth, so are my ways from your ways and my thoughts from your thoughts. Let's get the mind of God this morning. Let's get his mind. Because only that mind can help you make sense of all of the things you see happening in this world and give you the peace you need. Give you the peace you need to hold on to Jesus. No, Harriet did not receive the Jesus her slave owners tried to commute to her. She received the Jesus who revealed him to herself personally. 
And that Jesus did not dominate people. That Jesus does not manipulate people. That Jesus does not intimidate people. All the characteristics of Satan. That Jesus is a liberator. That Jesus will free you. That Jesus will bring liberty. He will bring righteousness to the oppressed. He's a stronghold for those going through. That Jesus. He ain't a sit around complacent Jesus just because you think, just because Christians turn the other cheek, just because we understand something. There's got to be a greater understanding for people who take abuse and don't react. There's something that they see that you may not see. So my faith is in his word. Our faith is in what he says to us this morning. My faith is in the power of the gospel. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation. Yes, to the Jew first and even to the Greek, me. It's my liberation. It's what I walk in daily. It's what frames my thinking. It's what changes our lives. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning again for the nation, again for the people, again, Lord God, reinforcing prayers that have already been prayed God, you are our hope. You're the only one wise enough to answer the issues of humanity. And we know the answer is present. Before any problem shows up, you give a solution. And we thank you, Lord God, that this morning we've been able to tap into the solution. Grant us an understanding, Father. Grant us your peace. In the midst of this difficult situation, in the midst of this challenging situation, cause your people to rise up and realize they're seated and postured in a place where they can see things differently. I pray for them today. I pray, God, that the fruit of the Spirit be birthed in every believer's life to the capacity that it was birthed in Stephen's. That it changes even the way we look. I pray that upon our lives today. In Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm full this morning. I am so full this morning. Y'all pray for me, church. Pray for the body of Christ. Pray for the nation. The world needs your prayers. We're going to honor God with our giving this morning. I pray that you've come prepared to, to just bless the house of God and bless the work of God and bless the ministry of God. I pray that we are on God's page this morning, saints of God. 
as I always do, I thank TC for the faithfulness of this house. Thank you, TC, for your faithfulness. Your love for God is measured by the tangible giving that you do. And I thank you for it. I thank you. People love Jesus. We bless you. Thank you today. Let's pray over the offering right now. Father, we thank you for the gift and the giver. Lord God, we pray that we exercise the stewardship you expect over the finances of this house. May we walk and do what you've called us to do with the utmost integrity. I bless you and thank you, God. Our hearts this morning have been softened by your word. God, I bless you because grace has come over the house. I sense a grace, a fresh grace over the house this morning. And we receive it in Jesus' name. So God, touch the hearts of every giver. And may our giving rise to you as incense that rose off the altar, that rose in your presence like worship. We bless you for it this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Welcome and a very special welcome to everyone who may be joining our home online service for the very first time. If you'd like to stay connected with us, there's a few ways you could do so. You could download our app or you could shoot us an email at info at truthcenter.org or just visit our website at truthcenter.org. Now, we have two youth ministries that are both set up to make the study of God fun and engaging while building godly character. The first is Encounter. This is our youth ministry for ages 13 and up, and they'll be meeting today at 11.30 a.m. via Zoom. So go to the website and click on your banner. The next is our King's Jewels. This is for ages 3 to 12, and you guys have something new on the website each week. So hop on and click on your banner and enjoy. Now last week, we kicked off our very first Kings and Castles Chess Club. It was amazing. <laughs> it's led by our very own Rich Nelson, who's been teaching kids how to play chess for years. It's for ages five to 18. However, if you're anything like me, age is nothing but a number. Rich let me join the club. And it was a lot of fun. We learned a lot of stuff. It was a little challenging. Your kids humbled me and showed me up, okay? So if you would like to learn how to play the game of chess while building critical thinking skills, join the club. We meet next Tuesday, June 2nd at 5 p.m. Go to the website, click on the events tab, and you'll see everything you need to see there. The Gathering. This is our awesome interactive time of Bible study of the Word. We meet on Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. via Zoom. We also have corporate prayer. This is at 6 a.m. on Mondays and Fridays via conference call. So go to our website, click on the events tab, and all the information you need to join will be there. Everyone, mark your calendars. We are relaunching Mandate the Woman of Truth. On Saturday, June 20th at 7 p.m. will be our Mandate event, Man to Man. The following Saturday, June 27th at 7 p.m. will be the Women of Truth event, Woman to Woman. Both of these events are on Zoom and are promising to be a great time of fellowship and reconnection. I'm really looking forward to seeing all of you guys there. So jump onto truthcenter.org and click on the events tab to join. We are continuing to pray for everyone on our prayer list. If you'd like to add anybody to the prayer list, please contact the office at 516-621-3814 or send us an email at info at truecenter.org. If you have any questions regarding the announcements or any of our upcoming events, download our app or visit our website. 
Remember to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And family, have an awesome day on purpose. Amen. Wow. Britt, wherever you are this morning, you're killing it. Well, we bless God today for you joining us. We thank God for you being a part of our service this morning. God is good. God is good. We have a saying, God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. Let's bow our hearts. Father, we bless you and thank you. Thank you for the freedom of your heart communicated to ours. It causes us to walk in liberty. Lord God, we wrap this time up, but we don't call it the end until we meet again. I pray every home experience peace, your peace, the peace that passes all understanding. I pray this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, let's say something good before we leave this time together. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. If you have love, one for another. Blessings.